Warning. The following podcast contains spoilers for the movie Prisoners, the movie Arrival, the movie Donnie Darko, the movie Talladega Nights, the movie Looper, the book Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, and contains atrocious mispronunciations of actor and director's names. Find a way to deal with it. Hello and welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast, the podcast where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music and decide whether or not we're going to keep the disc or dump them. I am your host, Miles Trout, as always, and today I am joined by the beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, funny, sweet Lindsay. How you doing? I'm doing really good, thank you. Good, thank you for being here with me. It's nice to actually talk face-to-face with somebody for the first time in a while. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we've been locked in a house for, what, like three, three and a half weeks at this point, almost a month. I've only been in here for a week. Yeah. Well. But you've been here for three and a half, and I'm seeing you stick to the walls. I, um, what was it? March 17th. March 17th. Yeah. And we're recording this on April 5th. So you've been, you've been off for a while. I imagine I'm going to get my coronavirus update tomorrow. I so. hope so. I hope so too. But so today, what we uh, viewed for your listening pleasure is the movie Prisoners from 2013, starring Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. But fast, a brief history. Prisoners is the 2013 film starring Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. It is directed by the director Dennis Villanelli. Hey, YouTuber Seven Butterflies, how do you pronounce this? Denis Villeneuve. Denis de Villeneuve. So here's how to pronounce it. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Well, he is a French-Canadian director and writer. Anyways, a good movie. Here you go. The first thing I want to talk about is our snacks. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I've got this thing going in my brain. Do you guys remember when, I don't know, in like 2004 through nine, they made some Orville Redenbacher popcorn that was cheese flavored and it would come with this packet of liquid that you would pour on it after it came out of the microwave. Did you ever have this? No. I remember the different colored popcorn, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't remember the liquid. Oh, my God. It was the best popcorn in the universe. It was like it had like cheddar powder on it like Doritos do. But then you had this cheesy butter that you would pour on it. It would come in an aluminum bag, so you couldn't put it in the microwave. But as soon as the popcorn came out, you'd squeeze that bitch and then shake it up. Oh, my God. So I've been chasing that high lately (laughs) so what was it like i don't know a month ago i decided that it was the same thing as craft mac and cheese cheese (laughs) so i uh i melted some butter together with it and i shook it up and i put it on popcorn and it was horrible (laughs) but you also like melted 
butter down and then it got like hard and crunchy and it was weird put yeah it on there yeah it was the the cheese and butter ratio i didn't there get was a right. snapchat there was, <laughs> there was a long snapchat um so then what did i do today i poured just the powder on without the butter to see how it was how was it did you like it it was okay. I I have um, popcorn seasoning, garlic parm popcorn seasoning, and I love that stuff. So I prefer that to mac and cheese flavored popcorn. <laughs> but, you know, it's each their own. <laughs> well, anyone who's thinking, oh, man, Miles is on to something. This is a genius idea. Less is more. Um, <laughs> don't put the whole bag on there. I'm going to get it right one of these days. Maybe. At, at first, I just put a little bit on, and it was fantastic. And then I was like, you know what it needs more of is this. <laughs> and then I put way too much on, and I, my teeth still feel a little fuzzy from that. It happens. So, yeah. And what did you have any snacks that were special? Not really. Well, I, I had my popcorn. Your and garlic then, farm. <laughs> and then I also got into my um, my barefoot wine. Mm. <laughs> um, I went to the grocery store slash beer store today and I got Miles some beer and I got myself some some, some sweet wine. So I uh, I got to drink that through this thriller of a film <laughs> and for those of you who don't know Lindsay, not much of a drinker so she's i'm sure feeling pretty good i'm enjoying myself some yingling lager yes. and it's got uh limited edition phillies pictures on it it says go phillies on it i'm not sure what sport that is i think it's baseball I'm pretty sure go baseball team right pennsylvania Anyway, <laughs> so uh, that was our prep for this movie. Yeah, so I, I knew nothing about this movie going in. I remember hearing about it in 2013. I think my theater that I used to work at got it, and surprisingly, I didn't see it. Oh, you know what? I probably wasn't working at the theater at that point because I stopped working there in 2013. Really? Yes. How long did you work there? Um, seven seven or eight years something like holy that. moses yeah it was a long time it was definitely a fun job i met a lot of great people there mm-hmm. and um i saw a lot of free movies which is awesome mm-hmm. but um yeah for the longest time I, i'm not a fan of popcorn and i'm just now starting to eat it with the with my seasoning so <laughs> <laughs> you can't eat just straight popcorn huh yeah it's just the so this movie is uh directed by this guy named dennis villanelle have you ever heard of him before nope okay so you may be more familiar with the movie Arrival, which he did. Oh, I love that movie. Yes, he won an Oscar for that movie, Best Director. Really? Yes, he did. And then he also did this movie, which I think was really well done. This movie or I Arrival? Thought that they're both good movies, <laughs> yeah. but I like this movie a lot. I thought it was pretty good. You thought it was pretty good? Yeah. He also did the movie Enemy, which I think is on Netflix right now. Enemy. Yeah, it's been on my list. It's actually Jake Gyllenhaal. It's like his like evil twin person he finds his doppelganger Hmm. um yeah i'm pretty sure that's on netflix i might have to check it out but i saw arrival and i really liked it i don't think that one best film of the year which i think i was okay with but i thought it was pretty good pretty cool well you know how i feel about time travel movies so (laughs) spoiler alert it was more about the aliens and time travel okay yeah but the time travel happened and that pisses me off anyway We're going to do an episode on Looper here real soon, and that's where you're really going to get into the meat and potatoes of my hatred for time travel movies. But I love that movie. Arrival is a good movie. And now I have to warn everyone that we spoil that with because time travel is the answer at the end of that. So, spoiler. Or is it? I don't know. I forget. Maybe I'll think about it in the future when I've already <laughs> thought about Jeremy it. Maybe it's Jeremy Renner. Maybe he was the answer all along. It turns out it was an Avengers movie the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that's that's the Arrival movie. We watched Prisoners. Prisoners is a good movie. 
Yeah. So um, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. What was your first Hugh Jackman movie? X-Men probably. Yeah, I was thinking probably X-Men too. I remember the first time I watched this, I was in an altered state of mind with intoxicants, probably beer. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, it stars Hugh Ackman, Jake, Jill, and Hall. (laughs) And I thought I was hilarious. So now I can't say Hugh Jackman without going Hugh Ackman. (laughs) <laughs> and Jake, Jill, and Hall. Cool. That's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a pretty good actor. His like eyes him. are like so big all the time. <laughs> they are. There's a point in this movie where it looks like his eyes are different colors. Yeah. That was pretty crazy. Did you ever see Donnie Darko? I love Donnie Darko. Okay. So when I was in high school, it was one of my favorite movies. I was like super emo kid and I just loved Donnie Darko and just talked about it all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Donnie Darko is about this kid suffering with possible schizophrenia, even though it's never really diagnosed on screen. Um, But he sees a giant bunny rabbit. And this movie has a couple of bunny rabbits of bunny rabbits which i thought was very interesting did you yeah are you sure they're just bunny rabbits aren't a common thing and they're they're pulling really hard to try and make a a, a i saw a connection here did you i did did you okay well (laughs) yeah maybe we'll do an episode on donnie i didn't know you like donnie darko this much maybe the next one you're on we'll do donnie darko i love donnie darko if we don't end up doing fallout or skyrim which are okay the reasons your eyes are bloodshot right now. Anyway, <laughs> so there's a spoiler for that. Yeah. Also a time travel movie. So, you know. I'm about due to watch that again. I love it. Um, I, I have it upstairs somewhere. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good movie. I don't know if it holds up. It's been a couple years since I watched it. That was Jake Gyllenhaal's first movie, right? Maybe. Um, I'm not positive. I know he was also in Bubble Boy a long time ago. <laughs> oh, too. yeah. Bubble Boy's yeah. a thing. So uh, Bubble Boy could be his first film. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> so you saw a bunch of rabbits in this movie and you thought it was connected to Donnie Darko because rabbits and Jake, Jill and Hall. Okay, you need to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just call him Jake? Just be on a first hand basis. My boy Jake. Yeah, your boy Jake. Yeah, that's I, I made the connection. I don't know. The fact that the director's done two movies with Jake, I, I would think he's probably a fan of his work. So I feel like they're buddies at this yeah, point. They're, yeah, maybe. Pro- what's, the, what's the director's name? Dennis Villeneuve. Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> he's Canadian. Ah, uh, okay. I was going to do that thing from uh, Talladega Nights. You sound like a dog with peanut butter stuck in your mouth. <laughs> anyway, so this movie's fucking heavy and dark. Yeah, I, I knew nothing about this going in. It's two and a half hours long, which honestly, it didn't feel like it to me because it's like edge of your seat for most of it and it's really tense. But mm-hmm. did you feel like it was long? I did feel like it was long. Okay. Um, it's, it's rated R due to violent content, including torture <laughs> and language throughout. I was really offended by the language. <laughs> torture didn't bother me so much. <laughs> yeah, so just a heads up going into this movie, there's torture you see some of it. There's also brief drug abuse. There uh, is? I, yeah, I'll mention that as well. Um, you see one of the characters doing heroin? I think it was heroin, but we don't really know for sure what she was doing. Huh. You'll end, have to at, stop me when the, we get into it. At the end of the movie. Oh, I gotcha. Well, yeah. we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. And uh, I'll probably disagree with you. We'll see. <laughs> okay. So the opening scene of the movie is the son and the dad. The dad is Hugh Ackman. But his uh, his name in the movie is Mr. Keller Dover. 
and I'm going to do my best. I know it's really confusing for people to hear me go. And then Hugh Jackman kicked him in the face. He has two last names as a first name. I have noticed that. Two last names as a name. <laughs> He's an er er. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that it's... Who the fuck is named Keller? That's a weird one. That's a weird one. And then his son's name is Ralph. <laughs> Come on. This is a modern movie and you named your son Ralph. Yeah. I guess it was a family name. If they got rid of the cell phones, it could have definitely been like a 70s movie, though. There wasn't a whole lot... Like, technology was not a big part of this movie at all. Yeah. And Hugh Jackman's haircut in the movie really says this should have been a 70s movie. <laughs> Uh, so the opening scene of that is like foreshadowing how Hugh Jackman's character is, is because... Can you please say Hugh Jackman regularly? I just did. Okay. I just feel like you're still saying it funny. Hugh Jackman. No, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, Mr. Keller. <laughs> Keller takes his son hunting and he uses this as an experience for him to, quote, there will be a day where the only thing that's between you and being dead is you. So it kind of foreshadows that Keller is a prepper. His whole basement is full of goods and stuff. Yeah, he's definitely a survivalist. And he, throughout the film, he, like, takes on this, like, quality of, like, the police aren't doing their job. Like, everyone's messing this up. Like, I got to find my kid. I got to do what I can no matter what to get my kid back. So I'm going to go above and beyond. Some of us would say above and beyond to make everything possible happen happen. And, well, that brings us to the point. His kid disappears <laughs> as part of this movie. Uh, the main plot of the movie is his kid and Terrence Howard's character's kid disappears and they're together. And then Hugh Jackman's like, oh, snap. Or, yeah, uh, the kids' names are Joy and Anna. Joy and Anna. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's so those two disappear. On Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. And the same day, there's a weird Winnebago out parked in the street. And they're, like, climbing on the Winnebago and stuff before they disappear. So it's like, hmm, who's got this Winnebago? Yeah, they actually think that there's somebody inside the Winnebago, too, like, when they first encounter it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, they start wondering where the daughters are, and they said they were going to go look for a whistle that's been missing for 130 days. Yeah. <laughs> 130 some days mm -hmm. a red it's basically a rape whistle right so this whistle's been missing forever and they decide that they're gonna go look for it today of all days on thanksgiving mm -hmm. and uh so they do that and they disappear so they call the cops they're trying to figure out what's going on and then who turns out to be in the winnebago when officer loki played by jake gyllenhaal finds the winnebago who's in it uh, Alex is in it, and Alex is played by uh, Paul Dano. He's been nominated for a couple of Oscars and other <laughs> film. I, I love Paul Dano. Yeah, keep thinking him from that Swiss Army movie. Swiss Army Man. <laughs> yeah, I so love terrible. that movie. I love that movie. Uh -huh. He was also in Looper, which we're going to talk about next time. Oh, he was in Looper, and he was in um, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love Paul Dano. He's, he's something else, and he plays what I took to be a incredibly autistic person in this movie i thought he excellently executed a lack of social skills but you also have a psychology degree tell me what you thought was up with him okay so my psychology degree is a bachelor's mine too in the arts mine too <laughs> um i i don't know it could be autism i was thinking it was more just some intellectual disability um he could have had history of a traumatic brain injury given his past. Um, we don't we don't really know. And they never like really figured that out. 
Yeah, that um, we'll um, we'll get into that a little bit then. Yeah. But he uh his name is Alex Jones, which there's only one moment I laughed in this movie and it was because someone said Alex Jones has the intellect of a 10-year-old and that made me laugh. <laughs> but the rest of the movie is extremely serious, but that made me laugh cuz I don't think Alex Jones was like famous in 2013, like real Alex Jones. Yeah. They're making the friggin' frogs gay. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Detective Loki was really believable because he was like a straight-laced detective, but they didn't, like, they weren't obnoxious about him being, like, by the book. I don't know. I, I thought they kind of made his character, like, a little over the top. You thought so? Yeah, because at one point they, like, talk about his past and they, like, say that, like, he grew up in a boy's home and you see that he has all these tattoos and he's wearing a Freemason ring. And I just didn't think that was necessary to the character. Like I, I literally missed everything you just said in the movie. <laughs> you didn't notice the tattoos? I noticed the tattoos, but I didn't know. I missed the part where they said he grew up in a boy's home. Are you sure they were talking yeah. about him? Yeah, they said the Huntington boy's home. Huh. Yeah. He was trying to, I think, relate with Alex at that point. And he was like... Mm. Yeah, you know, I grew up in a boy's home. Like, oh, that was literally the one time I went to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and then he was wearing a little Freemason pinky ring. Gotcha. Yeah, so, hmm. I, you know, I, I think he's a great actor, though. Um, I thought he did really well. I just think that his, like, appearance was too much. I, I don't see a cop with a neck tattoo. Not that it's not out there, but I just, I don't see that as a police officer. Well, there's you know, a couple things wrong. about the way his character was written that I actually liked. Like... The dialogue was perfectly executed because he was saying things like, I hear what you're saying. We are considering all possibilities. Just let me do my job. Like, and he wasn't like over the top, let me do my job. And then he like chugs a bottle of liquor like every cop in every movie ever. He doesn't do any of that shit. So I thought that was pretty good. And, um, oh, he worked alone, which... Almost every cop movie I've ever seen, they have partners, and then the partner dies. He's like, I'll avenge you. You're right. He did work alone, but you don't see that a lot. I also thought it was interesting, the relationship that he had with his boss. Yeah. He was, like, telling his boss to, like, fuck off. And, yeah. like... <laughs> the boss was like, you're not getting anywhere with this. And he's like, hey, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you don't... I, I feel like you, you don't see um detective talking to their boss, cop boss, like that. <laughs> well, it was clear the the boss had not been on the streets in a really long time. He was like a total paper pusher. Yeah. So the fact that he's trying to tell Jake Gyllenhaal how to do his job, uh, Detective Loki, how to do his job, <laughs> uh, I can understand why he would just be like... I'm not afraid of you. Go fuck yourself. Let me do my job. Yeah. So I thought he was actually really believable, but I mean, to each his own. I also thought it was very interesting that he, um, like you said, he wasn't by the book. Um, a lot of times he would just enter in places. He would just search places. Like, not I don't know, really he... something that a cop should be doing. <laughs> well, that's part of what I loved about this movie is that they don't explain everything that's happening in his head they just like show you what he observes and then you can draw the conclusion why he acts the way he does yeah that's true so like when he breaks into people's houses the one the first house he breaks into is there's a guy who's a known pedophile laying on the ground in his living room he's like oh shit so he thinks he thinks he's dead so he jumps through the window and is like are you all right and the guy's just drunk as shit and uh he goes you mind if i look around so he like pretended to get consent but then he like he sees that the fridge has been moved and there's like an outline of where the fridge was and there's a cord that is taut to the back of the fridge. So mm-hmm. it's like obviously the fridge is not supposed to be where it's sitting. 
So he slides that bitch over, and what does he find? Oh, so um, he finds a basement. <laughs> <laughs> a non-important basement. No, so he finds a basement, and so, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Officer Loki, is like, oh, man, like, I found these kids, like, it's time, blah, blah, blah. And he goes down there, and it's just, like, a, a dead older man's body. Like, it looks like he's burnt, too. He finds a dude's body in the priest. The pedophile was also a priest, of course. So, in the <laughs> in the basement, he finds a body that's been taped up and is laying on the ground and dead. This priest had in his fucking basement, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and, like, the priest can provide, like, no real information other than that he knew the guy was a pedophile and he told him to come back. No. So... And uh, kind of was like a dead end at that point. An important idea, though, which you don't realize is important, is that they zoom in on his necklace. Mm-hmm. And he has like a weird Freemason maze necklace on, which yeah, is interesting. I don't know if it's Freemasons, but it's it's a maze necklace for sure. I've seen it before. I don't know if it's Illuminati or what, but it's a necklace. Mm-hmm. So there's just a maze on a necklace. Yeah. So then where does this investigation lead? Then he's like interviewing Alex Jones for a while and he has to let him go. Yes, because they, they don't find anything on him. They they say, like you said, that he has the intellect of a 10-year-old. Um, and then Keller gets real mad about that. Yeah, so he like goes after him. He turns on his Wolverine mode. He chases after him, and he like runs him down in the parking lot. And Paul Dano's character is so whispery and small and meek. When Keller grabs him, he goes, they didn't cry until I left. And... Hugh Jackman's character is like, what? And they can't prove that he said that, but he obviously, he did say it. You can see on the camera. So Paul Dano's character knows something. Right, right. So he like, yeah, he's like totally thinking like, hey, this guy like killed my, killed my kid, got my kid somehow. So So he gets real mad and he tells Detective Loki that you need to go get him because he just gave me some advice, some, uh, some clues and they can't, they can't pick him up. But that's when they introduce Alex Jones aunt who he lives with and she's a pretty mild-mannered woman who's just like my husband died my brother died this is my brother's kid he's got problems my life is just full of tragedy and i gotta take care of this kid yes yeah, so miss jones is played by melissa leo who's a famous actress um she's been in a lot of lot of films i think she was in the wrestler she i think she won an oscar for the wrestler she was best supporting actress Really? Um, is she as old as she looked in that movie, or did they no. make her look? So yeah, they gave they... her a wig, they gave her glasses, they like totally made her look older. Yeah, I was. It, it's it strikes me as a little fake the way that she looked. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense because yeah. I was like, this lady's not that old because <laughs> she looks like she's in her sixties in that movie, but her wrinkles and like face fat are definitely prosthetic. Yeah, there was definitely a prosthetic uh, part to her. I'm not sure exactly what. But anyway, I don't know how much of the movie you want to give away. Oh, we're going to talk about the whole movie. Oh, we are? Okay. Yeah, because uh, this at the beginning of this podcast, I warned everyone I got spoilers for them. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take them on the journey that we went on. If they haven't seen it, this may make them want to see it. If at any point you're like, man, this movie sounds really good. You should stop us before we get to the yeah, end because it's a stop. better movie than we make it out to be. Watch the movie and then come back and continue. So um, Hugh Jackman, Mr. Keller is unhappy with the investigation so he decides to stake out uh, alex jones's house so he's there he's there for like hours and hours he doesn't see any cops he's just like sitting in front of the house in his car and in towards like the night well it was definitely nighttime 
um, Paul Dano's character comes out of the house with a dog and he's walking the dog and at one point which is really sad and kind of horrible he pulls the leash up on the dog so he's like choking the dog and you can just hear the dog whimpering mm-hmm. and he like he does it for like at least 20 seconds like 20 to 30 seconds like it's a while that he is choking this damn dog mm-hmm. um and the, the dog is it's like a tiny tiny like a very small size eight to ten pound dog mm-hmm. um so he finally puts the dog back down and he's walking the dog and he's walking the dog and he starts singing um a song that the girls had actually sung on Thanksgiving in front of their family. So at that point, uh, Mr. Keller gets out of his car and like goes towards him and like confronts him. And then it fades to black. And then the next scene, (laughs) (laughs) what's, what's interesting about this movie is every tiny itty bitty detail matters. So like, if you're going to watch the movie, don't be fiddling with your phone. Like, watch the movie. Because, like, we didn't say, oh, by the way, they sang Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg. But that's what he was singing. And uh, Mr. Keller was pretty upset about it because he's certain that Paul Dano's character knows something. Right. Alex Jones. So. Uh, and for whatever reason throughout the film, and I don't know if this is the cinematographer that would have been responsible for these fade out scenes, but they do them throughout the whole movie where it's you would think the scene would just continue because it's kind of a pivotal part of the movie but it just fades out for whatever reason and it kind of starts usually on somebody else usually on a different character Mm -hmm. um but it happens it's the director he makes that choice like five to ten times throughout the film so it's a little frustrating and a little like what are you doing? There was only twice where I noticed it that it really bothered me. Oh, Because okay. the next scene opens with Mr. Keller picking up Terrence Howard. Mm-hmm. Do you know what his character's name was? No. No. Okay. Well, we're just going to call him the esteemed actor, Terrence Howard. <laughs> so, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. No, it's so, uh, Hugh Jackman, you know, the famous Australian actor. Mr. Birch. Okay. So, Keller picks up Mr. Birch. And brings him to a house that uh, Mr. Keller owns. Uh, Mr. Dover owns. Keller Co- Keller Dover. God damn, I hate their stupid names. The stupid names in this movie. Anyway, so Hugh Jackman brings Terrence Howard to this house that he owns. He inherited from his father. He inherited from his father. It's fallen apart. He needs to renovate the whole thing. It's like an apartment house. Yeah. yeah. But it's completely empty. Mm-hmm. Except for one resident. And that is Paul Dano's character who is chained to the bathroom sink and with tape over his mouth. Yes. And uh, he's like, I'm going to torture him. I'm going to find out this information. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to like hold him. And I'm glad you brought some more clothes because you're probably going to need them because you're going to be covered in blood. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And Terrence Howard's like, what the fuck is the matter with you? And Hugh Jackman's like, I know it's I know he knows something. I can see it in his eyes. Right. And then they proceed to torture him for two-thirds of the movie. They do a lot of torturing. And, uh, yeah, so then what? Uh, and mostly what, with the torturing, mostly what you are seeing is you're seeing, like, punching and grabbing and um, slapping around. At one point, Hugh Jackman's character has a hammer and acts like he's going to hit him with it, but you don't actually see that part, thank God. He doesn't hit him with the hammer, but he threatens to. And right. it's, it's such an intense scene. Yeah. What I remember when I think of the movie Prisoners mm-hmm. is Paul Dano's face on the second day after they tortured him on the first, or no, the third day after they tortured him. So there's a brief scene where Officer Loki sees a guy with a rabbit at a vigil. He has like a, a stuffed rabbit at a vigil. Mm-hmm. 
and he's like caressing the rabbit and it was really weird it was real weird so officer loki chases the guy and the guy gets away and then after that the unthinkable happens where terrence howard's character gets his wife involved in the torture yeah he ends up um telling his wife what's going on and his wife is played by viola davis who is an amazing actress she's one of my favorite people in hollywood um she's been not she actually won an oscar Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think she won an Oscar for that movie Fences that she did with Denzel Washington. She's excellent, excellent actress. Um, she's in How to Get Away with Murder, if you've ever seen that. So yeah, Viola Davis is great. Some of the best acting in the film, I think, comes from her when she goes to Paul Dano and she's like begging him to, you know, release her kid. And, and that's then, when you see his face. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of this movie is Paul Dano's face when she takes a bag off his head mm-hmm. and like the director warns you because his face is like shrouded by the broken sink and then by the back of her head and he's like this is going to be gruesome mm-hmm. and then it finally reveals his like eyes are swollen shut and he's just all bloody and yeah like think like bee sting by yeah. like 10 bees like anaphylactic shock mm-hmm. his whole face is just fucked. Yeah, like you can't tell that it's Paul Dano anymore. I've seen people who've been roughed up pretty good, and that's like pretty exaggerated, but still, it's just really, the whole movie has got like this like, oh God, please don't do it. The whole movie is Mm -hmm. just like wishing that he doesn't murder Paul Dano, and then he just tortures him very slowly for the whole fucking movie. Right. So it's, it's pretty upsetting, but she unties him. Right. So Viola Davis, I feel like, plays a very strong female character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And besides her and one of the villains, who I'm not really going to go into, you don't see that. Um, you, the The only other female in the movie is Maria Bello, um, Hugh Jackman's wife. And she literally spends the whole movie... In bed. In bed, high on pills, because she's just trying to cope with the situation and what's going on and... You know, I, I don't want to say anything negative about that because I'm sure, like, who knows, if you were in that situation, what person you would be. But it was just, it was it was pretty cool to see this, this black woman kind of having like a strong part in the movie. I agree. I thought her part was stronger than her husband's actually. Yeah. I mean, she, she takes, like, they have like a weird, what's his name? Keller is the stronger of the two in his family. And uh, Viola Davis's character is definitely the stronger of the two in her family. Right. So together, they kind of decide that they should continue to torture Alex Jones. But they're not going to be a part of it anymore. The Birches are not going to be a part of it. So she gets involved. Uh, what Hugh Jackman's character does is he builds a torture box. Yes. Where yes, he, does. He, puts, he puts Paul Dano's character in the shower and then... After, of course, uh, uh, Viola Davis unties him and he almost gets away, then Hugh Jackman catches him. Mm-hmm. He put he builds a box around the bathtub where Paul Dano is, and he rigs the water to either be scalding or cold, so he doesn't have to actually physically touch him to torture him anymore. Right. He gives him a little tiny little hole where he can like see out of and breathe out of. It's fucked up. Yeah. Very, very so, messed up. So uh, when he does this, Terrence Howard's like, listen, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. This is too far. And Viola Davis says, don't don't let him go yet. We're going to keep him in there. We're not going to help, but we're not going to hurt him. Because he takes the hammer and he's about to let him free. And Viola Davis stops him and says, we're not going to help him, but we're not going to stop him. I don't remember it happening like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she she's the reason that he didn't, that Terrence Howard's character didn't free Paul Dano's character. 
was because she said, wait, don't do it. The way that I saw it was that um, Keller wasn't going to free Paul Dano. It was just the choice that the Birches were either going to be involved in it or not involved with it. And they made the decision not to be involved with it. They weren't going to tell, but they were not going to be involved with it. Well, there's the scene where Hugh Jackman hands Terrence Howard the hammer and he goes, uh, I'm not going to stop you. And he walks away. Do you remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. That's the part I'm talking about where uh, Terrence Howard goes to start prying the boards off and Viola Davis stops him. You don't remember that? I don't remember that part. Oh, well, that happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then we uh, we actually took a brief break before we were going to move on to open a bottle of wine. And that was majority of the movie that I remembered. One more character being important in the story. And he was the guy with the rabbit. But other than that... The scene that we took a break on to open your bottle of wine was when Jake Gyllenhaal's character pulls up and follows Hugh Jackman's character and Hugh Jackman sees him. And then the discussion they have is the last thing I remember for this movie. And then the rest of the movie was like a new movie for me because I haven't watched it in like seven years. Yeah, but I think one of the major, major things that you haven't mentioned was that other character, that other character coming in. Because he is kind of like... I feel like he was brought in to be like a red herring and he is kind of involved at the end and then kind of not involved at the end. So, well, at this point, all we had seen of him was the bunny rabbit thing. Right. So back to what Miles was saying about this character that shows up at the memorial service and runs away and Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes after him. He doesn't get him. Jake Gyllenhaal releases a poster, like a wanted poster. Like if you see this guy, like contact me. And a clerk at a local shopping center thinks that she sees him. It's this guy that comes in and buys kids clothes all the time. Mm -hmm. So she calls him and she says, hey, like, I think he was here. So they get the plate number. They figure out that he, um, where he lives. And Jake Gyllenhaal, like, shows up at his house. And I'll let Miles take over for this point. So before all that happens, there's a point where Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman like sit in a car and they argue about who should have called him and whatever. And that's some good acting, but overall not really important to the story. We do need to talk about one more thing first, though. Okay. There is a break in at, um, well, there's a there's an incident at the uh, Keller house. There's an incident at both their houses. Yes. But the Kellers were the only ones that kind of knew. what They figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Mrs. Keller was lying in bed and she hears this creaking sound and. Um, her missing daughter's room she goes over there and nothing's going on and she goes back to her room and she finds her window open and she assumes that it was her daughter and she calls the police and like reports it and they don't think anything of it because she's been on heavy meds and is a mess um but come to find out and it it shows it it's um the bunny rabbit guy yes he's, he's like come in the house and he's gone and their house and he went in the Birch's house as well so we find out that guy's name is bob taylor because they run his plates and uh officer loki arrives at his house and he goes why'd you run away from me man and the guy's like i've never seen you before and he goes well you were at this store and you bought a bunch of kids clothes and bob taylor goes i must have been in a hurry and that's when it was like oh shit (laughs) so uh jake gyllenhaal kicks in the door and arrests him And then there's a bunch of, like, containers laying around. And when Detective Loki busts all the locks off of it, there's bloody clothing in there, but also snakes. Snakes. Lots and lots of snakes. Snakes. And all the walls in the house. Did you say this part? No, go ahead. All the walls in the house are, like, uh, written in pen, like, mazes. Intricate mazes that you would find on, like, the back of cereal boxes and, like, different designs. But it's, like throughout the house on different walls and stuff and um it's very very intricate 
but I realized where I knew him from. The Dark Knight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the fake Joker. Yep. Yes. I just thought that was really interesting. Batman so. hangs him upside down and is like trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably what he's most famous for right. is the 15 <laughs> seconds he's on the screen in The Dark Knight. As the fake Joker. As a fake Joker. Yes. yes. <laughs> so there's mazes all over the walls and shit. And then he finds children's bloody clothing. So they're like, we got our guy. So they call in the families to identify clothing. Which is a pretty heart-wrenching scene to watch. Yes. And uh, the Birch family goes first, and they identify two pieces of clothing that they believe belong to their daughter, Joy. And then um, Keller comes in, and he's talking to Jake Gyllenhaal, and Jake Gyllenhaal showing him all these pictures of all these kids' clothes. And he shows him a picture of a bunny rabbit on a sock with blood on it. And he's like, yeah, that's that's my daughter's sock. So they think they positively ID'd a murderer. Right. So they tell him, okay, we, they interview him for like 10 hours and he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So they give him some paper and they say, look, draw us a map to where the kids are. So of course the dude draws really intricate mazes. mazes. Yeah. So Jake Gyllenhaal's getting shit from his, his boss who's like, hey man, you're not going to get anywhere with this. He's like, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and then he goes in and he starts beating the shit out of Bob. Yeah, because he's frustrated. He's like, nothing is happening here. So, like, other police people come in and they grab Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And meanwhile, Bob has... Bob grabs one of their guns while they're distracted. Yes. And puts the gun in his mouth and blows his own brains out. Oh, shit. Yes. Very frustrating. On that note, I think we're going to take a brief break and uh, let you ruminate on that crazy shit because... Who knows where the bodies are or even if they're really dead. So exactly. I'm going to take a minute to thank some people, thank some friends He's and tell you how to get a hold of me. I don't have to go <laughs> pee, but I do have to tell you guys how to get a hold of me. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, I just have to let you guys know some stuff and say some thank yous real quick in the appreciation zone. Hashtag appreciation zone. I don't know, I'm pretty sure that hashtag's been taken, but I'm going to use that for what this section is called. Um, I want to let you guys know that if you want to email me, you can email me at discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget the little PP in there. It's important. You can follow me on Instagram, the Disc Dump Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at the Disc Dump. You can follow me on Facebook at the Disc Dump Podcast, or you can join the group, the Disc Dump Podcast Fans. It's a great place to see all of the promotional material and talk to other people who enjoy the show and start some discussions. And you will very likely be featured on the show if you interact with any of these pages. And I have a few special thank yous to throw out there. First, um, I believe your name is Seven Butterflies on YouTube. You teach people how to say things in a French-Canadian way, and you have a beautiful voice. And I know I was poking fun at French language earlier, but I do appreciate you actually sharing how to appropriately say the name of the director who I can't... Uh, Denis Villeneuve. I still can't do it, even when I'm being sincere. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, Seven Butterflies. I'm going to make sure that's your name before I move on here. Hold on. The Seven Butterflies, yes. Also, I want to. I heard uh, I heard a rumor that 
Amy has been listening to this podcast. Hey, Amy, it's been a long time. I hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm sure if you're going to listen to any of them, you're going to listen to this one because Lindsay's on it. So uh, thank you so much for listening. It makes me so happy. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank Tanner Carmen, former guest on this show. I noticed that you've been interacting with a bunch of the stuff on the Facebook page lately. Appreciate it. And uh, you're going to be on an episode coming up here real soon. So I'm pretty excited for it. So uh, also, I want to say thank you to Lindsay for joining me. I already thank her profusely in the podcast, but I wanted to thank her once one more time. And uh, for those of you who skipped the ad spot, you're going to miss that at the end of the episode, we have a secret terrible drink segment. So keep your ears open for that. Alrighty, everybody. I hope you enjoy the show. like you bought children's clothes i was i must have been in a hurry it's like oh shit that part was like that's the the turning point of the whole movie for me but anyway so bob kills himself and uh that jake gyllenhaal is going to be in some fucking deep water he kind of has a little nervous breakdown because they made it pretty clear earlier in the movie that jake gyllenhaal has not caught everybody that he's been looking for without saying that directly they say that what they actually had said was that he has solved every case that he's ever ever had no she asks him she says the your boss said that you've solved every case you've ever had is that true and jake gyllenhaal like looks at his feet he's like "Mm, not really so that's not how i interpreted that well, he, well, she started crying and she's like starts apologizing for even asking him that. Yeah. Because he obviously didn't. And there's like skeletons in his closet. Oh, see, the way that I that I interpreted it was, yes, he solved all these cases. But like, just because you solve something doesn't mean it's a good ending. I can see that. Yeah. But I think I'm right. So. I think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bob Taylor is the guy. Bob's dead. Bob's dead. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Before they find Joy, Hugh Jackman's character has Paul Dano in the bathtub, and he's like, today is the day you have to tell me because it's seven days that my daughter's been missing. If she hasn't had any water, she dies today. Mm -hmm. And Paul Dano's character says, she's in the maze. Right. He finally gives him an inch. Finally. And then, of course, he's like, oh, hot water then if you're not going to answer any more questions. And uh, then they find Joy. Right. Joy just comes up out of nowhere and they're like, oh shit, we found her. Yeah. So they... Um, Joy is Terrence Howard and... Uh, Joy Birch, yes. The What's Terrence Viola Howard? Davis, yeah. Their character's daughter. Right. So um, Keller's called to the hospital to see if Joy knows anything and um, they get there and Joy's kind of like, she appears to be unconscious or heavily drugged, not really sure. So they like come in like, hey, like where's our daughter where's our daughter blah 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 and um joy looks at keller and says you were there and like starts to freak out so then like keller has like light bulb moment and like takes off and then jake gillenhall's there and he's like hey keller's taking off like i gotta follow him so then there's like a car chase and uh that's when hugh jackman leads him to the other house but i don't think he does it on purpose does he no that's that's when that's later yeah, we we jumped ahead. We jumped ahead. Yeah. That's when he goes to the house and he hears Paul Dano say he's in the maze. And then he goes to... So, yeah. So, eventually, um, 
Detective Loki discovers um, Keller's father's house. So yes. he like shows up and uh, Keller's there and Keller pretends that he's wasted and he's. Oh, that's way earlier in the yeah. movie. We're way past that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Keller this... like searches the house and like doesn't see anything or no Loki searches the house, doesn't see anything and then gets the call about Bob. That's right. Yeah. So now at this point, this is the second time that Loki's come to that house. Right. Because he's like, oh, I know Keller's there. I'm going there. So he goes there to supposedly catch Keller. But instead, he finds Paul Dano's character. Yeah, he hears him, um, like, slamming around up in the bathroom, so. Meanwhile. Yes, meanwhile. Hugh Jackman's character goes to Paul Dano's character's house and meets. Alex Jones's house, yes. Alex Jones' house and meets with his aunt, his aunt. Miss Jones. Miss Jones. He was actually there the day before or the day before that and kind of, like, apologized for his behavior and was asking about the mazes and, um... So he like comes in again and is like, hey, I'll fix this stuff for you because I'm a man. I'm a man and I apologize. And the best way I know how to apologize is to help you. So he comes in. He comes in, but he obviously has another motive and she sees right through him. And as soon as he like sits his bags down, she pulls a gun on him and is like, hold it right there, motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, that pretty much was her voice spot on. Yeah. So. See, I'm coming to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Keller is like where's my daughter like where is she can i see my daughter and she like reaches her arm in the fridge and she pulls out this purple drink and she's like drink this something to make you more manageable drink this yeah so he like chugs it and she's like drink more so he chugs it again and then she makes him put handcuffs on yeah he takes her she takes him out to the yard and she moves the car and she puts him in she shoots him <laughs> shoots him in the leg and then he cl- willingly after being shot climbs into a hole in the ground he like falls in but yeah well he slides in yeah. and then he falls because it's a lot farther than he thinks it mm-hmm. is and he is laying in the ground and she puts a board over it and parks a car over top of that shit and the whole time we're just like oh my god (laughs) it was her the whole time and her reasoning of course that she's a super villain so she has to explain her reasoning as she's putting him in the hole is that she and her husband were waging a war against god by killing kids right and her husband is the body that jake gyllenhaal's character found with the priest yeah with the priest and he has a necklace that has a maze on it right it all comes together everybody it does come together and actually alex she says she thinks his name is barry he was one of the first kids that they took so alex isn't even like related to her at all so the way that bob gets entangled in this is that he has lasting trauma from escaping the joneses killer cult so he escaped and he's the one of the few who's escaped and his trauma and looking at that maze necklace is why he's obsessed with mazes and he like takes kids clothes and he f- puts fake blood and pig's blood on them is because his trauma resonated through the rest of his life. He didn't actually kill anybody. He just had clothing that he would cover in pig's blood and snakes to remind him of what it was like to be with them and that's right. wh- and that's why he draws mazes on everything so i was shit. trying to figure that out because i like i was like was he involved in that somehow because they never actually say like what bob's role is and everything but he drew the mazes and then the mazes is on the the dead dad um yeah his role was he escaped from them and his the trauma of that event mm-hmm. just like he never got over it right which like that's some serious character writing right there that is but isn't it also like a stretch that he would be involved in all this 
I mean, I guess not because no. they knew that he was abducted and missing. Yeah, they yeah. knew he was abducted and missing, and then he made himself—he was the one who was robbing them of their clothing to soak it in blood because he knew what was going on, mm-hmm. but he didn't want to say anything because trauma. I don't know why people don't say things when they're upset. He was definitely a sick individual. Yeah. yeah. So then Officer Loki's like, "Oh shit!" So he had Paul Dano the whole time. I wonder if that means. Oh, shit. So he goes to Paul Dano's house and he waltzes right in Mm -hmm. because it's his prerogative. He just does that. I guess that's the only rule he really breaks. He knocked first. He did knock. (laughs) And um, Paul Dano's aunt is about to inject a needle into Hugh Jackman's daughter's arm and kill her with it. And you think it was heroin she was trying to stick in? I do think it was heroin. Um, I got that feeling, especially because when um, Anna's in the backseat later on, um, passed out she vomits on her side and i just think oh she does yeah okay yeah. i think i missed that but that makes yeah. sense then yeah I, she doesn't I could be wrong it could be like fentanyl it could be something crazy i feel like she had a change of heart though because she was in the middle of injecting the girl mm-hmm. and she pulled the syringe out half full of still whatever was in it like she didn't push the whole syringe in she pulled <laughs> it out and then she turned to shoot jake gyllenhaal and she fucking shoots him in the face <laughs> but Jake Gyllenhaal yeah, she is gets, like upper forehead. She, Jake Gyllenhaal gets her though. He's right. like, bang bang, and she's fucking dead. Yeah. And then he throws her, the little girl in his car. And I want to be cremated. I don't want to be buried. Yeah, I don't want to rot in some hole in the ground. She spins around and starts firing at Jake Gyllenhaal. Shoots him in the fucking face. And but, meanwhile, Keller's in the yard in a hole. Yep, and nobody hears him. Right. So uh, they, so Jake Gyllenhaal takes a little girl and throws her in the back of his car, and they drive to the ER. And meanwhile, Hugh Jackman is in the hole, and he finds the whistle that the girls were looking for. Right. Oh, and I, th- I think it's also important to say, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is a mess. Like, he can't <laughs> see out of one of his eyes. He's doing 90 in the snow and the rain, and his car is, like, just going in multiple lanes. At one point, he's got blurred vision, and you're just like, how is he still driving and just not in an accident at this point? This- but miraculously... He makes it. He makes it. This movie takes place in Pennsylvania, and anyone who's been around for a Pennsylvania sleet knows that that is not an easy thing to drive through in the middle of the night. Right. So he, uh, yeah, he manages to get to the ER. With just his lights. There's no siren. Yeah, he doesn't, for some reason, he doesn't turn on his siren. He just has blue lights going in his uh, undercover vehicle. Mm-hmm. But he gets he gets the little girl there, and uh, that's when everyone's, like, sitting around basically celebrating, yay, life, everyone's fine. And they go, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes back to the house where the core, or where the forensics teams are uprooting the yard looking for bodies. They do make it seem like it's been a couple of days mm-hmm. uh, since the girl was found. They, they, they like show a newspaper and it says still missing and it's got Keller's face on it. And it says um, something about, I don't remember. Something about Bob being dead. Yeah, Bob's dead. And yeah. So dead. they go, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes there and hangs out with the forensic people for a while, but it's so cold that the ground is frozen. So they just give up for the day mm-hmm. and they get in the car and they move away. And Jake Gyllenhaal is standing there and he hears a little bit of a whistle and he's like, hmm, that's weird. And then the whistle happens again and the movie cuts. And that's the end of the movie is him supposedly finding Hugh Jackman in the ground. So that's the movie Prisoners, everybody. <laughs> it is. So my question for you. Do you think it was necessary for Keller to be found? Do I think it was necessary for Keller to be found? Yes. Well, this movie does have religious undertones to it because Keller is a devout Christian and the whole thing is a war on God. So I think that it is a testament to his faith that he gets found. 
even though he committed the sins of torture. It was all in the interest of the greater good, which all evil is done for the greater good, of course, but... Right, but the person that he tortured turned out to be completely innocent. Semi-innocent. He helped kidnap the girls. He was intellectually disabled. Well, where's that line? When do you when are you able to be complicit in helping kidnap people? That's good. That's good. It's really good. I don't think that his character needed to be found. I think that I would have been upset if I didn't have some kind of closure whether he died or was found. See, I I think I would have been happier if it would have just ended where they just never found his body because and there's just darkness in me. But <laughs> <laughs> this is just my darkness. It, it's just that shiny bow theory for every mm-hmm. film. It needs a shiny, shiny bow. So mm-hmm. when they find his character, they get that bow. But without finding him at the end of the movie, there's no bow. True. Yeah. So you got the kid back and he sacrificed himself to get his daughter. I just think it would have been a better ending. It would have been grittier for sure. I mean, yeah, but this movie's called Prisoners. And I think that's a pretty unique title for a movie that has really only three physical prisoners. If you Four, if you count Hugh Jackman at the end being a prisoner, the two little girls, and Paul Dano. But I feel like every character in this movie is a prisoner of some kind. They are a prisoner to something. Mm-hmm. That's pretty deep. As, I guess, but like I was thinking about it the whole movie. <laughs> I think that Keller is a prisoner to his paranoia. Because it shows he's a prepper and they really they really hammer into him, pray for the best, prepare for the worst. I think his prepared for the worst, actually, it worked out in the end for him. But for most of the movie, you think it's not gonna because he's kidnapped Paul Dano and he's torturing him. And you know Keller's gonna go to jail once they find him. Right. Well, that and the fact that like you can prepare all you want, but there's still gonna be things that are out of your control. I mean, what are the chances that two little girls would have been taken on a holiday in a... Right in front of their house. In a suburban neighborhood. Yeah, right in front mm-hmm. of a house. And nobody would have seen a thing. On on a holiday, there's mm-hmm. there's usually people everywhere. There's usually, you know, every, everyone's got eight cars in their driveway because their whole family's there. And if there's not kids playing outside, there's somebody looking out the window or smoking a cigarette nearby. But I think I think that's what made him a prisoner, though. If anyone's a prisoner, in the, if everyone's a prisoner in this movie, which I think everyone is, he's a prisoner to paranoia more so than anything. And overcoming his paranoia is what everyone wants him to do the whole movie. But then his paranoia works out in the end when he goes to Paul Dano and he's like, just give me something. This is the last day. And Paul Dano says he's in the maze or they're in the maze. Mm -hmm. Like that's the moment his paranoia finally pays off seven days of torture later. So I think that that's probably what his is. And I think Paul Dano's a prisoner to his inability to communicate. That's good. Because if he could have just articulated, I don't know where they are, or I do know where they are, I think it would have changed the whole outcome. But he just wasn't saying anything. Right. And he just kept getting tortured and beaten up. So his disability has made him as a prison of its own. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty. I really would have liked to know what happened to him, what his disability was. You know, did he have a traumatic brain injury? Was it intellectually disabled or autism? Like, what was it? I mean, if... This is all conjecture, but if his aunt and uncle, well, his parents died in a car crash. So there's a potential like, oh, he was injured in the car crash. But also his aunt and uncle murdered children. So they needed somebody that could help them lure children in. So maybe a 
a kid that they injure in such a way that he can't really speak up and be like, Hey, no, don't, I don't know. That's kind of where my brain takes it is mm-hmm. like, he was the bait because they used him as the, him and his camper as the bait for the little girls. So I kind of feel like they injured him in some way if he wasn't injured by the car crash and they use him. But remember that wasn't his actual family. That's his aunt and uncle. No. Remember that he was just a kid that was taken. Was he? Yeah, oh, they that's said that. right. That's right. Yeah. Well, either way, I think they still, they did something to him, if I had to guess. Maybe they drugged him out of years and years of being drugged. I don't know. Terrence Howard's character is a prisoner to those beautiful eyes that he has. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's soulful uh, trumpet playing in the beginning of the film. I, I think he's a prisoner to desperation. He would not have gone along with Hugh Jackman torturing people if he wasn't absolutely desperate. Because the whole time, if you watch Terrence Howard's face during the torture scenes, he is not having a good time. Right. He is terrified of Hugh Jackman, but he's like doing what he says because he's not sure what's going to happen if he doesn't. Right. So I think desperation is really where he comes from. What do you think uh, his wife's, I guess that with her, <laughs> the, the key thing is like where we disagree on what happened in the movie as far as like she... She wanted her child back. She wanted her yeah. child back. She showed some mercy and then he almost, he pushed her and he almost stabbed her with a piece of glass. Mm-hmm. So she like learned to regret that mercy immediately. Right. And then when they went to let him out, she stopped him. From what I remember, I think that she was in some ways a prisoner to her good nature. And then she had to like push past it. Obviously, Hugh Jackman's wife is a prisoner to grief. She could not bring herself out of that bed the whole movie Mm -hmm. she was lost jake gyllenhaal he's a hard one to figure out what kind of prisoner he is you know i did read something that um they were talking about let me see if i can find it originally hugh jackman was never discovered by the police at the end uh he would have remained a missing person and died a la vanishing 1988 but this was deemed too bleak they thought it was too bleak of a, a movie ending where did you read that uh this is on imdb Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Because, I mean, it definitely felt like the end, they were struggling to decide whether or not he should be found or not. Okay. So the only thing I could really find, I don't remember where else. Oh, okay. According to the screenwriter, Detective Loki grew up in a boy's home and didn't really have a family. He's a prisoner of his own past with his own demons. Yeah. So I think I can see that. But I, the way I took him answering, have you solved all your cases? And the way he reacted to thinking he fucked up this one when uh, Bob killed himself. Mm-hmm. I, f- I took that as he's trying to redeem himself from his past failures by being successful on this one. And he might not be able to handle not being successful on this last thing. But it all worked out in the end. Right. Um. Do you remember? I know that you read Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. too. Um. I read it also. Um, and they talked a lot about Loki and how he's this like a mysterious character and he's like a trickster. He's the main character of Norse mythology. Right, right. Um, he was in one of the stories about Loki is he is trying to find these missing kids. And apparently like these other people, I think Odin, his father and somebody else were looking for the kids first and they couldn't find them. So they put it on Loki. And I just thought that was interesting, too, that, like, you know, that they chose that name, like, of all names. I don't remember that. Yeah. It was one of the stories. Huh. Well, that would definitely add to this story if you knew what she was talking about. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. But, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, 
It's an, it's an interesting name. I feel like that's the only name that they put any effort into naming. <laughs> Everyone else, they're like, oh, this is Bob. This guy has two last names as a first name. Right. Like, I don't think they thought about yeah, anybody's name. Yeah, there's nothing name. more country than, what was his name? Keller Dover. Keller Dover. Keller Dover. Mm. Anyway, so that's a movie, Prisoners, everybody. Yeah. I enjoyed the movie, but I don't think I need to watch it again. So I say dump it, but. I love this movie. <laughs> and. Now that I've recorded and documented exactly what I think about it and how it ends, I probably won't forget again how this movie ends, (laughs) but I'm having a hard time deciding like, oh yes, I should never watch it again. I haven't seen it on Netflix. I haven't seen it on any of the streaming services before. I bet I can find it. I bet you could too, but (laughs) I don't want to pay for it. That's the thing. If I can find it on a streaming service, I'd like to dump it, but that's not the name of this game. I want to give the audience some closure. So I'm going to say... Don't dump it. I'm keeping keep this one. <laughs> You're going to keep it. I'm going to keep this one. Okay. So. Has... All right. Well, I know you need to pee, so. <laughs> okay. Well, let me do this thing real quick. Okay. Thank you for coming and sitting down in the cold basement with me and recording this podcast and yes. watching a movie with I me. I enjoyed recording this podcast and thank you for inviting me to do it and I'm glad that I did it. <laughs> um, so I want to say thank you to the band The Jazz June for the use of our theme song, Viva La Speed Metal, off of the album The Medicine. You can find that wherever fine music is sold. They are a tremendous band who has gotten me through some pretty hard times, to be honest. Uh, I've been with them for a long time. They've been with me, rather. And I super duper appreciate them. I actually hope to have them on an episode here soon. We'll see. I want to thank the Fat Rat for the use of the song Unity, which is our song that ends every episode and brings you in and out of the ad space. You can find that music on YouTube. That's some fun, bouncy EDM music. As I said in the middle of the episode, there are several ways to get a hold of me. One of them is email. You can type in discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget the little pee-pee in there. It's important. On Twitter, you can be the first one to see the videos that get uploaded at discdump. Or on Instagram, you can see promotional pictures, which is discdumppodcast. Again, don't forget the pee-pee. Facebook, you can find me at discdumppodcast. Or you can find join the group and really get into the discussion at discdumppodcastfan. It's a fun, open group that you can see all of the promotional material. You can start conversations with people. You can see anything that I have to say about this podcast on there. So start the discussion. So here's for our final sign-off. Don't forget that oil paint doesn't dry. And check on your grandmother. Yeah. What is this? It's another segment of Terrible Drink. Terrible Drink. Terrible Drink. Terrible Drink. Terrible. It is terrible. Or is it? Back by popular demand, we are doing a segment called Terrible Drink. Terrible Drink. (laughs) 
Um, so the premise of this is uh, I used to have it reserved just for people who experienced this period of my life. So this segment originated because my mom would go to discount grocery stores and buy drinks. These drinks would only be there temporarily. So my mom would buy a case of them. If we liked it, she would buy more. If we didn't like it, we didn't throw things away in my house, so we had to finish the drinks. So when I'd have company over and it was drinks I didn't like, I'd say, hey, would you like a terrible drink when I'd go to get people water or whatever? And they'd say, okay. <laughs> and uh, I would hand them these drinks. Sometimes they were hits. Sometimes they were not. So that's why we called them terrible drinks. And in the spirit of that period of my life, we are going to be trying a terrible drink. Lindsay. Hello. What is this? This is called Sangria Senoriel. Sangria Senoriel. Sparkling non-alcoholic sangria, natural and artificial flavor. It is a soda. Yes. Um, sangria so soda. It's it's in like a it's in a 1.5 liter bottle, green. <laughs> green bottle, which plastic, is an interesting choice. And a red cap, and it says Heco and Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I think we can make some assumptions about what that means in English, but... And everything is in English and Spanish. So what are the ingredients on this bad boy? Ingredients. Ingredientes. Carbonated water. Sugar. Natural and artificial flavors. You had me till there. Caramel color. Citric acid. Sodium benzoate as preservative. Red number 40 and blue number one. That's it? That's it. So the flavor all comes from natural flavors, which has no explanation at all. There's no grapes in this. <laughs> there's pictures of grapes on the bottle and there's no grapes in it. Yes. Or it's just a triangle. Let me see. It. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a leaf that is underneath the word señorel. 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 I probably sound like such an asshole right now. I don't mean to. Um, sparkling, non-alcoholic sangria, natural and artificial flavor. Um, Excuse me. So there's a leaf. Thirsty. There's there's a <laughs> so there's a white leaf with purple circles on it in a triangle that look an awful lot like they're supposed to be grapes. But as we just discussed, no grapes to be found. De de nutrition. Your lips taste like sangria. Your lips taste like sangria. What are you doing? It's a um, it's a Blake Shelton song. It's like the only one I know of his. Okay. And it's called sangria. Well, I'm gonna <laughs> that, open. That's the this only now. thing I got was sangria. In it. <laughs> I don't know anything about Blake Shelton, but ah! <laughs> oh no, things went wrong. Nothing went wrong. Put a little bit it's in. It's carbonated. Describe the color. Yeah, so I pour it into these okay. wine glasses, we'll call them. They're a little bit more like goblets this time. This, yes. The amber liquid slowly makes its way into the goblet. It has a nice fizzing sound as it's filled. Up Ice rattles as it congregates and clomp. Clomp. It goes clomp, clomp in the cup. Miles is crazy if he thinks I'm going to drink a whole glass of this. Well, these glasses are deceptively small. They look large, but they're not, I promise you. It looks like cherry cola. You know, that's probably the best way to describe it. It's that brownish red. It's like auburn. Do you want more ice or less ice? More ice. More ice it is. I'm going to let it sit for just like a second to get cooler before we try it. I'm going to treat it like a, a fine wine. <laughs> that's what you should do. That's why I swish. put them in these glasses. Swish it. Swish it. Alrighty, To Terrence Howard's eyes beautiful well that's fucking terrible <laughs> it kind of tastes like old soda 
Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I think the smell's the worst part. Did you smell it? I did. Get your nose in there. I'll do it again. Yeah, this is terrible. This is paint thinner. This isn't drink. Oh, God, it smells so bad. It smells so bad. It doesn't taste as bad as it smells. It literally smells like paint thinner. It just smells awful. If I could drink it without smelling it, I would. When I was a child, my mom used to renovate churches. <laughs> oh, my nose. Hold Ta- on. Go, go ahead. Take your sip. Oh, God. Um, when I was a, a kid, my mom used to renovate churches. So her whole thing was like ancient paintings. She would make them look brand new. And whatever chemicals she used to do that process are what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> this is so bad. It smells like the 90s to me, but that's not what most people are going to smell when they smell this. I don't think it tastes too bad. I don't, you know, it, it reminds me of soda, but it kind of just doesn't taste like anything. It does. It does taste like something. It tastes, well, it definitely has a big carbon, carbonated water flavor to it, but something about this is extremely chemically. It's a smell. Yeah, but why does it taste like a chemical? It's that blue number one. It's the blue number one? (laughs) It's not sodium benzoate because I put that shit in everything for whatever reason. I don't know. I hate this. Do you hate this? I hate the smell of it. If somebody gave me a straw, I would would drink it. It it feels like a component. Yeah, like I agree. Like I feel like if I added more soda, I would be fine. Or if we put like fruit in it. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's supposed what to be. It is. I feel like it's a base for a sangria, like for so, kids instead yeah, of actually exactly. putting wine that's, in it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it so is. So we shouldn't be just drinking this shit straight. Like we're not really being fair by just drinking sangria soda. So look, Sally, I got you some sangria too. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> got yourself going there huh yeah Ooh. so what happened there <laughs> i made a joke and then i just laughed what, what did you <laughs> I, I get say that from my mother like i think my own jokes are funny and then i just go i mean i can relate to that anyone who's listened to this has heard me talk to myself <laughs> and laugh at my own jokes right but right what did you say look a little sunny here comes a sangria <laughs> so look, look sally i got you some sangria too oh i gotcha i sounded this, like a witch that time that that but before that you sounded <laughs> incomprehensible (laughs) i'm sure somebody can understand it well uh so i'm putting a terrible stamp on this yeah i i say that we don't get this at price right again but i think this was at like most grocery stores i have seen this at most grocery stores it's popular enough that they brought it up from let's see where this is made it's distributed from mexico so i mean if they made if they traveled this from mexico to the northeast part of the united states somebody must like this but it is not us i think there's a there's a pretty large hispanic population in this area so there is, yes. yeah so puerto ricans oh it's a very small island but a lot of people say they're from there it's kind of like ireland i think a lot of people say they're irish who aren't anywho i don't know I also don't know what I'm talking about, so don't get mad at me, okay? I, I, I admit I'm a dum-dum, okay? He's going to erase that. I'm probably not going to. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, terrible drink. Stamped and done. 